Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body here at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. I'm here with Chase. And before we get to our guest, we have to recognize that it's been a minute. Quite a minute. Since we've done a podcast. And we'll go into more details about that in another episode. But Chase got a promotion. Yes, Our building, church building, is getting a promotion. And so we just haven't had the time and space to... It's been a busy six months, but we're glad to be back. But our guest with us today motivated us to resurrect the podcast. So like a phoenix rising from the ashes, we are here with our brother, Mark, who is my friend. And we're glad to have you on the podcast. So thanks for taking the time, Mark. Thank you, Drew. Good to be with you. Mark is pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., where you've been for many years. And we'd like to talk to you about that, ask you about that. President of Nine Marks ministries which is the organization that helps assist churches a duke blue devil fan yeah what what else can we say about you mark you're a friend of desert springs church you were at claris a number of years back four years ago yeah what what could help our Uh, people i'm I'm out here to preach at desert springs on sunday yeah Uh, looking forward to being with the saints again that's right uh looking at matthew 28 gonna think about uh christ's command there and uh what that has to do with us and with you as a church. Yeah. Ryan reached out, asked you to preach, and you graciously accepted and preaching on the Great Commission, which ties in well with uh, an initiative we've had this year in our church. We're calling it 2 and 22. Our missions pastor, Josiah, came up with it. Um, it's an initiative on personal evangelism. Amen. So we're just really trying to focus on That's that wonderful. as a church. And so the 2 and 22 is a clever way of saying, hey, this year... Share the gospel with two people that you've Amen. been meaning to. Amen. So if everyone in our church, over 500 members, shares with over 1,000 people in our city, we're really encouraged. And we've seen a lot of, a lot of growth and a lot of uh, movement uh, because of that initiative. Lord, we pray that Chase and Drew and I will all get to do that this year and that you will bring people to yourself through our witness. Amen. 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 So when we thought about talking with you, Mark, we thought we'd ask you, what does personal evangelism look like for you? What is Mark oh, the evangelist like? Yeah, when you say personal, if you mean non-public, it's hard because yeah, that's I'm, what a, I mean. I'm a pastor of a church, so most of the people listening to this won't be in my kind of position. So just so you guys know, you're the lucky ones. You know, if you're working at Walmart, if you're working at a law firm, if you're a mom at home with teenage kids, I mean, there's just, you know, if you're a real estate agent, I mean, there's you get so many opportunities to speak to your 14-year-old, to speak to your client, to speak to your patient, to speak to the person whose house you, you know, you clean or you, their yard you cut or the person that you know you work at the at the YMCA with you know whatever it is you do that you get to be around normal people many of whom are not Christians i am specifically paid to be around christians mm-hmm. and specifically to teach and equip christians which i'm happy to do but with my personality i love sharing the gospel with non-christians and uh i i try to as i have energy i try to engage yeah. in conversation and you know try give, to give us an example in the last yeah a recent well, this Memory. morning I was talking to the person at the hotel desk, but and it was beginning. You know, she was saying, "Hey, this is my my Friday." I think she called it, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, but the important thing is tomorrow, your Sunday." And I was <laughs> assuming she'd be Roman Catholic or wouldn't know what I was talking about, but instead she seems to be a Christian. So I, that oh. kind of didn't go anywhere. I mean, it was <laughs> okay. good. We we talked for a moment, but oh, but yeah. that's the kind of thing that I just do. Throw mm-hmm. out little little lines like that, kind of just as you're going. You're but what I was going to say is, for me as a pastor, the, the kind of compensating blessing is I am asked to. Uh, speak publicly to hundreds of people. Yeah. And in those crowds of hundreds of people, there are always people that don't know the Lord. Mm. So I am getting the privilege of personally, mm-hmm. though not individually, yeah. sharing the gospel uh, with people. 
One example of that was um, just yesterday, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, speaking at a um, commencement for a seminary. And one of the things that I prayed about, and I think I prayed with somebody, uh, was that the Lord would bless non-Christians who were there. Mm. Um, And it wasn't a huge group, maybe a couple hundred people, you know, maybe, yeah, 200 people maybe. But uh, this one professor who teaches there sent me this email yesterday. I Mark, just want to thank you again for your commencement sermon today. One of the students who was graduating and who was in my mentor group was especially glad that her father, who's not a believer, was coming to the graduation. I've been praying that her dad might hear the gospel at the commencement service, and your sermon was a direct, clear answer to that prayer. Thank you for your faithful ministry. Anyway. Amen. Wow. So, you know, so when, when the personal evangelist in me is kind of sad, boo-hoo, I'm not around <laughs> non-Christians like normal people. God has called me back from the front lines. I compensate with things like that. Yeah, okay. And I trust if I can help Drew and Chase yeah. to be better as evangelists, then that's that counts. I, I had a, a packet of five copies of J.D. Anderson's Evidence for the Resurrection in my sports coat on the flight last night, uh, but I didn't end up talking about so it. So you mentioned you're outgoing, and we've, yeah, we've witnessed that. And uh, you, Drew, can I just say, you guys are listening to this, no Drew, you are so kind to hang around me, because I think I probably exhaust you. <laughs> And yet you very kindly, whenever you're around, you always take initiative. It's super kind and maybe a little bit out no. of character. I really appreciate it. No, that. We're, we're, we're good for each other. Um, what would your encouragement to someone who's not so outgoing in their personal evangelism be? How would you encourage someone who would say, I'm shy yeah. or I don't feel oh. comfortable in those situations? Yeah, don't worry about it. The Lord has not made a mistake in the way he's made you. Hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people might be driven away from Christianity if everybody were like me. So I think <laughs> your kind, loving silent service where they know you're a Christian and you pray for opportunities to bear testimony uh, is, is great. Mm. And it's part of the substance of the stucco, everything together that makes the witness. So yeah. you're part of that. You know, One of the great little uh, Nine Marks books we published is by Mac Stiles, and it's called Evangelism. And one of the things Mac does so well in that book is talking about how various members of the church fulfill different roles in evangelism. So it may be the combination of you with your quieter, though sincere and prayerful witness, combined with a, just you just need one or two like me around, <laughs> uh, but f- you know three or four or five of you in somebody's life, and then one or two like me, you know, and that's hopefully that's what Desert Spring Church is like. Yeah. You know, when somebody yeah. comes to dinner at your house yes. or you know event at your church, I mean that they find normal, happy people who are struggling with life as everybody does, but they're struggling with the help of Christ. Yeah. Well, that kind of ties into what you've already been addressing this is this individual personal aspect but then there's a corporate aspect to our evangelism and that's part of Mac's book is how do we do this together so uh, especially with preaching Ryan and I when we preach on Sunday mornings we always strive to share the gospel in that sermon so that somebody's there uh, that doesn't know they would hear it so how how ought we to encourage our members to think about the corporate gathering as an aspect of their evangelism how could they make the most use of that in this endeavor well, they'll, they'll make the most use of it if first if they're like the person Drew is talking about and if they try to themselves share the gospel. Mm. So the little book I wrote called Gospel and Personal Evangelism is a great thing for you to read. If mm. you just need like first grade in evangelism, go grab that book. I wrote it years ago. I wrote it because I couldn't think of a good book to give a 20-year-old new Christian. Were you in the first grade when you wrote it? No, no. but it's, it sounds a bit like it, I think. <laughs> but uh, you know, just grab that and read it, and that will make sure you have a clear idea of the gospel in your own mind. You can articulate it. And just simple things, ways you can share the gospel. Go to the same places regularly, frequent them, get to know the people who, who serve you there, 
you know, a, if you go to a, a dry cleaners or if you go to a restaurant or if you go to a, you know, wherever you, a store, you know, wherever you regularly go, try to get to know the people who serve you there um, or who you serve. If you're one of the people working there, try to get to know your regular customers. Uh, but so when you work on those skills of personal evangelism yourself, then you're going to be better able to play your part in the body as a whole when it assembles. So then, so so what I didn't mean to be saying in the other answer was, hey, don't worry about evangelism, it's somebody else's job. No, we all want to be tooled up, but then don't be dissatisfied with the way the Lord uses you because we're, we have different personalities and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so when you bring them to church, uh, you you want to be pray. The main thing you can do, other than you're being kind and loving yourself, is be prayerful. Uh, just pray for them, and and you know, don't push. The Lord knows when He's going to call people to give an account. And yes, that person may die tomorrow, but that person may be around forty more years. You know, so it everything. The Lord knows if everything needs to be accomplished today. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We don't have to know that. Yeah, and we've really leaned into that as how our theology undergirds our evangelism. That we don't need to. That's why it's not bring two people to. Faith and repentance, right. yeah. 22, is share yeah, the gospel. Right. because the Lord We can through. pray to that end. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can always pray as aggressively as, as you can imagine. Yeah. But what we can't do is assume that we can plan for this number of baptisms to happen. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. All right. Let's shift to our next topic. Uh, we're going to bounce around, and our listeners are smart, so they're going to keep up with us. Uh, I mentioned you've been at Capitol Hill for many years. 28 years. years. 28 years. Yeah. So coming up on 30 years of ministry. <laughs> wanna, yeah, yeah. And you're, you're so youthful. Oh, still yeah. Still so spry. Uh, Just when I'm not asleep. Wanna, we want to reflect on long-term ministry. So talk about the benefits of staying in one place for a long time. Well, w- when you're in some place for only two or three years and you make a pattern of moving every two or three years, as some pastors do... Mm-hmm which I think is a difficult way to live. Yeah. It's a little bit like being in the military, I guess. Thank you for those of you who are in the military and willing to or move. Or being in. an NFL running back. I think the average career is around four years. Yeah. How long was yours? How long was my? NFL running back career? Um, a little shorter. <laughs> okay. Slight, only slightly. Uh, I think you can have a kind of bag of tricks that you do that can be somewhat shallow and maybe even inauthentic. But when you stay in a place five years or 10 years, or 15 years, um, people get to know you. They know... 20 years? Yeah, they know if you have... 25 years? They know if you have migraines. They know how your kids are. Yeah. They know what your wife's like. They yeah. know, you know, how your marriage is. They know, you know, how you spend your time. They know what gets you excited. They know how you spend your money. I mean, yeah. it's just, they know what car you drive. They know how you drive. <laughs> you know I mean? There's just yeah. all these things we can talk are about. You, are just... you and your church starting to look alike? Like yeah. married oh, couples? Yeah. Oh, and that always and, happens. In what ways? Well, when when I when I preach at Capitol Hill, they know exactly what to expect from me in terms of humor, in terms of the density of the communication. I think when people when I'm at other places, other churches, I need to preach more briefly and I need to preach less densely than I do at CHBC because there they're used to the way I communicate. There's nothing in the Bible that says you need to communicate like I do. Mm-hmm. I hear sermons that are far more rhetorically powerful with far less content in them. And the Lord does great good through them. It's just, yeah, this is kind of the way I am. So, Has your preaching changed over the last 30 years? You no, know, it's interesting. If you, I read Spurgeon's sermons a lot. You just It's like, you know, candy. You just can't, yeah. you know, my yeah. goodness. His earlier ones are thicker and they're more ornate. His later ones are have fewer subpoints and they're clearer 
and they're more focused. Both are great. Yeah. The youthful energy and the verve of the four subpoints. So you're saying you're like a modern day Spurgeon. I think any preacher who's been doing it for a long time probably ends up simplifying a bit over the years, like water over rock. Doing more with less. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. How would your wife say your preaching has changed over the years? Hmm. Uh, uh, I'm sure Connie would say that things that we have been through just in our family and emotionally Mm -hmm. with health have probably made me a more empathetic preacher Mm. because I think that's a weakness of mine. I'm slow to agree with her, but I trust her. So, yeah. I hope that's true. That's good. Well, we actually have her on the phone right now. We're going to ask. No. Thanks for calling in. (laughs) Uh, So you talked about how your church starts to get to know you over a long time. How have, how do you feel differently about your members serving this long? Oh, I mean, the longer I'm there, the longer I, the more I love the ones who are there longer. Mm. So, you know, there are. That sounded a little bit like Bilbo Baggins. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I like half of you have as well. I should like and and half half is go sorry go ahead. We have about 750 members, and of those at these this point maybe 10 were members before I was there. Wow, that's you know it's 10. And of those 750, I'll bet you 400 of them, half of them, have only been there the last five years or less. Yeah, easily, Mm. easily, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, maybe 500 to 750. And I'd imagine that's a lot going to be with the Lord of those that are no No, no, no. When I came, it was a small church, 120, oh, okay. 130 people. <laughs> yeah, those people died in the 1990s. Okay. You're not that, many, you're not that old. Some were born in the 1800s. Yeah. So it was an old, is that true? It was a, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was oh, my a gosh. very elderly congregation. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were the, the young people. Carl Henry taught the young people's class, the Hilltoppers. <laughs> those were the people 18 to 60. Those were <laughs> okay. the young people. Um, that's incredible yeah so those people would have been born those would be people born in the depression and afterwards okay uh, the people born right. before the depression were most of the church were, were 80% of the church when I got yeah. there so what's happened because we're right by the capitol building uh, and there are literally thousands of young people in normal days that work at the capitol and staff the capitol people who look more like you Chase um, that's what our church is built on our church is built on people in there. 20s, early 30s. People meet there, they get married, they have their first kid or two. Then it's just too expensive to live there. School gets super difficult there. They move out to maybe a church in the suburbs, maybe churches that we've helped plant or revitalize, or then other parts of the country where the wife's family They become a a staffer for a senator in Florida. That's right. Can can do. So uh, uh, Michael Sheets and his wife from here. Yeah. were with us for a number of years. That's Randy, the, Randy Pierce's uh, daughter and son-in-law. Yeah, great, great members, great kids. And then they, you know, typical pattern, they moved out to Falls Church and they're in a church out in Northern Virginia. Good. So, so Chase, to, to what I was saying there is that there are 10 to 20% of the people who I've known for like 20 years or more, and they are precious to me. But most of my relational energy has to go into meeting new people and getting to know people that I, I will only know for two or three years closely. So you've known Ryan Kelly move on. longer than most of your church members. Oh, longer than yeah. 90% of my elders. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Does that get tiring? 
this turnover that oh. well not for mark he loves learning people's names that's just not, your personality yeah and it's it's enjoyable it's like i like seeing new places uh-huh um i like familiar places mm-hmm. you know i i like i like uh both sentiment and novelty mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm i'm happy with the rhythm the lord has built well, as a life you're gonna love all our songs on sunday then in the way we do them it's a good balance of those two things. Excellent. Yeah, of yeah. nostalgia and All right. novelty. Let's let's scoot on to uh, next topic. Whatever happened to Cannon? Cannon? Yeah, uh, he's he's a son. He's my son now. He's a ten year old boy. But before Cannon, that was, was a band. Son. That was a band. Yeah, and and two or three of those guys are now uh, music leaders at different churches. Praise We're actually in a network Drew's together. Discipling. Yeah. Ministry. Oh, we disciple each other. Um, next topic. Turn the page. To our Ask Mark Anything interview. I thought that's what this was. That's, it this, It is. It's an AMA. This okay. is AMA. Ask, Ask Mark Anything. Ask Mark Anything. Uh, congregationalism. Uh, we just started voting on elders. This last Wednesday night at our members meeting, we yeah. voted so on the our first did that called elders. Augustine to be their minister? So do you think it's a good idea? Yeah. Why? Um, when you look at the New Testament, there seems to be an assumption that people, uh, churches appointed elders through the lifting of hands. Uh, we know in that ancient Greco-Roman world... Like voting. Yeah, it was very common. It seems to be in 2 Corinthians 2, six. Paul is implying that they had voted on something about the man who was in adulterous relationship mm-hmm. with his unrepentant adulterous relationship. Also from 2 Timothy 4.3, it looks like Paul is giving responsibility for those teaching uh, in part to those who pay them to teach. So there, there's just a combination of how... The teachers are definitely responsible, James mm-hmm. 3.1. Yeah. Uh, Galatians 1 would assume Galatians that 1. the congregation has that authority. Well, Galatians 1, yeah, that's written to a whole collection of churches, and they are being warned about who they will listen to, and Paul even includes himself. Yeah. So he's, he's telling these new, comparatively new Christians that they are in a position of authority to judge whether or not his gospel is true by whether or not it lines up to what he's already taught them. So one of the things that the Roman Catholic Church gets wrong is with the authority of tradition being mediated to us through human bishops, mm. as if a succession of hands to head from Peter to local bishop is how we make sure there's orthodoxy. One, I don't think Matthew 16, when when Jesus said, you're the rock, and on this I'll build my church, mm. I don't Peter. think that's what it means. Two, there's no record of early, quote, popes, close quote. Yep. But three, it's never been, even in the New Testament period, you see teachers who know the disciples going wrong. Peter himself goes wrong. Mm. So the idea that somehow this is what's going to... No, the, the kind of tradition that the Roman Catholic Church is feeling after, that I think a church like Desert Springs actually has correctly, it's the apostles' teaching that you want to keep. That's, That's right. the tradition, the traditio, the hand down. It's whoever is handing down that truth, whether you're getting it from a book or you knew the bishop himself. That's that's what we want to keep because we want to keep the words of Jesus we want to keep the message of the New Testament. That's what the canon of Scripture is about. So that's the tradition that we want to keep. That's how we stay apostolic. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and you're talking about who has authority then. So that's it's, right. It's the authority is... Well, the authority goes, it looks in Matthew 18, to the ecclesia. When there's somebody who's in unrepentant sin, it doesn't finally go to the bishops or pastors. It goes to the ecclesia, the assembly. And the assembly then has the responsibility, the authority, mm-hmm. but also the responsibility. It's not like the authority they have, they're not going to use it, they're going to second it to their pastor. No, they have the authority and the responsibility yep. to use that authority yep. to help make the gospel clear in that unrepentant sinner's life, in the life of the members of the church, and the life of the world around. Yeah, it's about the gospel. Amen. It's not about 
everything that it could be in a church life, but certainly those right, things There's nothing that, in the New Testament that requires you to vote on a building plan for however you're expanding the building. Yeah. It may be prudent to do that. Sure. You know, your elders can figure mm-hmm. that out. But uh, you assume that the congregation needs to be involved in questions of membership and discipline, <clears throat> church statement of faith, yeah. officers, elders, and deacons. Yeah, the who and the what of the gospel. Yeah. And then we, Very we said... Very like answer. Oh, right? yeah. And then we said, we said Wednesday night, so by implication, you should be able to vote on the who is teaching you the what. Yeah. So your yeah, leaders. So if you want to, the best thing you can read on this, if you're a serious reader, is Jonathan Lehman's, Jonathan Lehman, L-E-E-M-A-N, yeah. don't fire your church member. We just, we just promoted that you on mentioned that Wednesday on night. It's, yeah. it's a bit of a chunky read, just be warned. Mm-hmm. There's really good stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, but I would, I would assume that that's, that that's going to be most helpful for you. So yeah. another change that we've made in our uh, practice as a church is moving from two services to one gathering, one assembly, which is part of the reason that we are also expanding our building is so that we can fit one gathering together. That's what Christians have done in the past. They would either build a larger building or they would meet somewhere else. They would send yep. some off to you know start another church. Yes. So are you pro pro or con one service? I think that's what a church is. What, yeah, expand on that. Ecclesia means assembly. So when you have two assemblies, you have two churches. Now, if you say, but Mark, we've got one name, we meet in the same place just at a different time, we've got one the same set of elders, leadership. Yeah. then, okay, that's confusing it a bit, but you're basically essentially two churches because you're two assemblies. Okay. Uh, so this is rapid fire. Other thoughts that I've had about congregationalism. We have deacons right now uh, serving in that. So we have elders and deacons, deacons serving in that, what we believe is the New Testament model of um, serving ministry needs, practical needs, uh, kind of as assistance to the pastor. Right now we only have male deacons. And if I'm remembering correctly, your church has male and female deacons. Correct. Is that right? So how did you arrive at deciding that that was biblically appropriate and what are the Church was founded in the 1870s with deaconesses. We just never changed it. So you don't have a strong conviction either way about women deacons? Yeah, I think Phoebe very well could have been a deaconess there in Romans 16. Um, she's certainly a servant in the church. Um, yeah, but because when you look at the qualifications for deacons and wives of deacons, mm-hmm. more likely I think female deacons, mm-hmm. because there's nothing for wives of elders, which would seem to be the more important office. Yeah. So it You're seems saying like First Timothy three that, that uh-huh. it yeah. mm-hmm. so it seems like that's talking because it about... doesn't mention elders' wives in that same section exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that what is sometimes translated wives of deacons probably means deaconesses. And it would make sense there would be male and female deacons because part is part of what we think they did in the early church is help prepare them for baptism, hmm. and there would just be a concern about modesty. Modesty, sure. yeah. Matt Smethers does a good job of addressing these oh, in his book. His deacons. little deacons is so good. Starts out with the story of the Nazis. Right. Who knew? I won't tell you anymore. But yeah. just we should be <laughs> we should be interviewing him. Yeah. But the headline is either of those are biblically faithful positions to take having. Only yeah, and since it's not a position of authority when your church is biblically ordered, you don't have to worry about violating anything else in scripture. Right. The the elders are men. That is not saying all men are elders, but the elders right. are male. That's true. They're men. Yeah. Um yeah. Great. So so Chase, just a follow up. If your church is structured like a lot of Baptist churches were in the twentieth century, where you have deacons and no elders. Yeah. And the deacons really function as elders. Right. 
then I think practically you probably wouldn't want to have a woman serving as a deacon in that yeah. sense. But Maybe. that would be more for the confusion. That's exactly. That nomenclature you need has. to back up, yeah. teach on what elders are, what deacons are, That's right. and get your church prepared yeah. to accept. Yeah, and the idea roles. that if a woman's not an elder, she's not having any role in the church is just so false. Women are most of the people in the church. Mm. If you're congregational, the women, if they ever wanted to vote as a block, could do anything they wanted. <laughs> but the, the women have come to your church because they agree with you on what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Mm. You know, so that's... And, and plus... You know, which which one of us goes through our week without being encouraged and even instructed by godly sisters? Yeah. And how what fools would we be if we didn't listen to people because they're women? Because I'm not a woman, I try especially to listen to women. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's just so false to think that because there are no women in the eldership. Now I have to say, in our particular church, as elders, we will sometimes have women in. And ask them questions about particular matters. Yeah. They'll talk to you about pastoral cases. Some of the female counselors are involved with, mm. so they they co-labor with us mm. in a lot of things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. All right, last last thing on congregationalism. Um, how old does someone have to be to be baptized at your church? What's we deliberately age? don't have an age, but it's going to be no. But it's going to be when they're out of the home, when they're having a job themselves, when they're you know in college or oh, okay you know so now do we ever baptize teenagers in the home yeah 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 maybe maybe once a year okay uh but not at most that, that, that's an unusual situation but this isn't something that the bible speaks to this is no, prudential. that's right so yeah, that's how right. did you guys decide that this was the wisest course well we have a senior pastor who's done a lot of work in baptist history and he knows this is what baptists were always like in the past that they were waiting until later in life and to t- baptize well it wouldn't necessarily be later in life if, if you're in virginia and you have your own job at age 15, mm. you know, and you're kind of pulling your weight at age 15. And it's not surprising if you have adult responsibilities, if you can get married at age 16, you know, that yeah. it's not surprising that that's around when the baptisms start happening. So why would that being away from your parents' influence? Because you've got to be able to be excommunicated if you're in your unrepentant sin. Mm. And if you're still under your parents' authority, you're now beginning to confuse different authorities, your parents' authority, if you're still under their authority, and the authority of the local church. Mm. You know, when, when kids are still growing up, and it can vary from culture to culture exactly when that adult sure. adulting happens. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, the combination of driving, mm. voting, serving yeah. in the military, getting married, paying yeah. taxes, having a job, you put all that together. And it's whenever you kind of stepped out on your own, you're no longer under the aegis of your parents, that then it becomes clear for the community to testify that, yes, we think you're a believer. Mm. You can really be regenerate at age three. Sure. You know, you can mm. be regenerate from, I don't know how early, I assume yeah. as early as 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 the Lord can, yeah, yeah. the Lord can do that whenever He wants through uh-huh. through an understanding of, of Christ and trusting in Christ. But I just think we're not to assume that baptism and the Lord's Supper are intended for us when we're still being formed. That's mm-hmm. intended for Christ's uh, adult disciples. Yeah. So the obvious objection to that is a three year old believer. Yeah. That you're saying in our case they're 22 before they leave the house. Yeah. So are you not? encouraging them to disobey the Lord's clear commands to be baptized. No, we're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't mean a 14-year-old who's physically able of bearing children mm. or, you know, of fathering, siring children uh, is, is disobedient because they're not doing it. No, there's, a, there's an assumption of a certain amount of responsibilities that are taken on. If you can't be excommunicated from a church, you can't really join a church. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Just to be clear on that, when, when someone comes to our church and they were baptized at age five in their Baptist church in Alabama— if they tell us they were a believer, then we assume they're baptized. We take that as a baptism. You're so not going to make them be No, re-baptized. all we're talking about is a matter of prudence about what is a, the best practice. We're yeah. not talking about what is a true or a false baptism. Yeah. The, what makes it a true baptism is if the person was regenerated, they're baptized in the name of the Trinity in connection yeah. with the preaching of the gospel Yep. at whatever age. Yeah. 
And so you wouldn't have a connect, uh, uh, an age for membership either? Correct. Just baptism membership. Yeah. But do connect baptism to membership. Yeah. We if would, you have somebody that's wanting to be We would not baptized. baptize somebody who's not joining the church. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thanks. Well, let's talk about uh, discipling, especially this idea of... I mean, you just cut... You just cut Drew off, man. I mean, don't, you just ran right I, in there. And, don't talk yeah. about... Well, don't, you just, I have to hashtag, work my way in there. Don't, don't call you know it Drew, discipleship. I have to, I have to right. really fight for it. Okay. He does. He All does. Right. Yeah. I, I I gave him the first question. So, okay. Chase, you have the first question. I'm going to take my question from you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I want to I talk about discipling and, yeah. and particularly kind of mentoring relationships. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to ask this first question was, uh, in my life, there's been... I can think of three men that have been very influential in me. Um, the Lord. Bo Hughes at the uh-huh. Church in Denton. One dear man. Jeff Wiesner Good at guy. North Point Church yeah. in Denton. And then and Ryan me. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, Drew, Drew's up there, but Ryan Kelly. Yeah. So these are all men who have been very influential three. in my ministry and my Christian walk. And these are all three men that you have been very in- influential in their lives. And so as I think of these guys as Trickle down. fathers in, yeah. in my spiritual walk, I kind of think of you as my granddad, yeah. spiritually. I think I look like it. Uh, <laughs> what, not a comment about age, That's just fine, man. generations yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to know who my great-granddad is. Yeah. So who who would you say, man, or, or one man in particular that had a big influence on you and your ministry? Uh, I think faithful pastors growing up, uh, a Baptist pastor named Harold Purdy. A Methodist pastor named Wally Thomas, a Presbyterian pastor named Ed Henniger, uh, all but when I was between the ages of, you know, twelve and twenty-two in that decade of first decade of my Christian life, growing up, were all really powerful users of the Lord. I didn't have anybody who met with me individually regularly by their initiative, to, mm-hmm. so I didn't have anything. I wasn't discipled in that yeah. sense. So, what did that influence then from those men look like in your life? A faithful teaching of the Word every Sunday. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Regular, uh, happy response to me when I'd want to hang out, mm. ask them questions, talk to them. In every case, it was me taking the initiative, but in every case, they were super receptive. Mm. Mm. So you discipled yourself by pursuing. Mm. So, the joke, Lord was joking aside, the yeah, Lord was discipling me through the, his church. The Lord used your churches. personality in yeah. your church. Um, yeah. So, if if a, if a Christian wanted to be more formally discipled, what's your encouragement to them? First of all, the word discipling is useful for us in thinking about things, but you don't ever need to use the word to describe what you're doing. If it helps give you understanding, that's super. I use it in teaching. But so my assistant right now here in the room is is named Barak. And I would say I'm discipling Barak. But I've never looked at Barak and said, I'm discipling you. <laughs> and you Barak know, didn't had, come and ask you to disciple he him. He did not. Yeah. Now, I do have pe- people sometimes formally ask me to do that and I almost always say no. Why? I don't have the time. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. I've got obligations that are responsible. What somebody can do, they can hang out with me. Mm-hmm. They can say, hey, can I come out and hang out in the study and do some work tonight? And we'll get into conversations, and you know, our lives will start to flow together. So Adam, a, a young guy in our church, has, has been texting me and phoning me for advice probably five times in the last two weeks. So in a sense, I'm discipling Adam. But if Adam asked me, Mark, will you meet with me every week and read through a book? I'd say no. Mm. Do you ever redirect guys that ask that? All the time. How do you encourage point them? other people. Just find another hey, look faithful at Tom man. over. Well, I don't usually say find us. I'll usually point somebody out. Okay. Yeah. 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 Do you ever facilitate that more? Like go ask Sometimes, Tom yeah. And... Sometimes I speak to the other guy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So how could we, as leaders in our church, encourage these less formal relationships like you're talking about? Uh, use that little blue book of mine, Discipling. Mm-hmm. Uh, get little conversations going about it. Talk about, am I doing this in my life? Are others doing this? Do we see? What can we do to encourage it? 
do you think it should be happening? Do you oh, think? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that is the basic texture of a church. The basic te- evangelism in a lot of ways You're grows out of discipling. You're going to be in Matthew 28 mm-hmm. on Sunday. That's right. Evangelism yeah. really grows out of discipling. Uh, Unpack that. Uh, discipling is helping other people follow Jesus. Okay. Evangelism is the first step of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. Um, church planting. Some churches, in the last 20 years, have been cool to church plant. <laughs> um, but a lot of these churches that try to plant are super sterile. They're not really hothouses of spiritual growth. So I'm thinking, I know you think it's a good thing that there'd be another church over there that you guys helped, and God bless you with that. But really, I don't care about that. Forget it. Let's, don't do any church plants ever. Become a greenhouse spiritually yourself. See new elders raised up. Start mm-hmm. to see a lot of new elders raised up. Oh, you're going to be planting churches then. Yeah. So instead of getting customers to buy your crops, why don't you work on raising your crops better? Raise your crops better Have until crop. you get too many crops for your family to eat. And you're going to start providing for others, and you're going to start, you know, getting new customers, start new farms, whatever. So the idea, the sort of popularity of church planning in the last 20 years among pastors, I think, has been a little cart before horse, because mm. so many of these churches have not been super fruitful in seeing new elders raised up. When I think this stuff all fits together, discipling, evangelism, elders raised up, church planning, world missions, it's all the same kind of germ. It's this germ of realizing that my following Jesus necessarily involves me helping other people follow Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. All right, well, that's all the categories we had. I've got a rapid-fire section that we can we can take or throw away, depending on how good your answers are. So just like one-word answers here. And we might even do these like as 42. outtakes. Good answer. I love it. 42. Douglas Adams. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Come on, man. I don't know this reference. Oh. Don't worry about it. Okay. A lot of people in New Mexico do, right, or at least move, did in the 1970s. Let's move on. All right. Um, we can just go back and forth here. Uh, favorite theologian? Pass. Favorite him. Wait, on favorite theologian, I'll just say Spurgeon. Favorite him. Oh, man. Too many, too good. If it's uh, not a Drew Hodge song, you It doesn't, no. It shouldn't be. <laughs> um, oh, man. It is well. Good. Favorite movie? Casablanca. Favorite work of fiction? Cry the Beloved Country. Oh, good. Instagram or Twitter? So different. Twitter's my thoughts. Instagram's fun. Thoughts on Tim Keller's latest post? I have no idea. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. All day. MJ or LeBron? And by all day, I mean all day. Yeah. MJ or LeBron? Is, if that's a music question about Michael Jackson, <laughs> then probably anyway. No. Le- LeBron's great musically. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, a lot of hits. He sounds uh, French. Yep. Yeah. We'll skip this They're one. LeBron. True. It's there. Uh, quick thoughts on UT and OU joining the SEC. Well, the the E seems to be problematic. It does get a little confusing. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's going to be great football. But the E seems to be problematic. All right. And then the last one, the most important for our, our New Mexican listeners, red or green? Oh, man. Uh, definitely green. All right. Well, brother, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for doing this. We'll go eat some green chili now. Let's go to lunch. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Mark. God bless you guys. God bless Desert Springs Church. Amen. Amen.